This is Ozarks at Large for Thursday afternoon, October 21st, 2021. I'm Kyle Callums, and this is KUAF, a listener-supported service of the University of Arkansas. Thank you for being with us. Ahead this hour, Macmillan Innovation Studio is attracting interest from University of Arkansas students. When people think of innovation, a lot of times they're thinking of, you know, autonomous robots running around, 3D printers, you know, advanced drones, you know, being operated. I mean, this is kind of their idea of innovation. And and actually, um, with, with the studio back in 2016, we really did specialize in a lot of those things. I mean, that's when it got its start. It really was kind of a retail tech innovation lab. But what's happened since on today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal report with Paul Gatling? That's later on our program. And just ahead, Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports on a new ordinance in Eureka Springs designed to curb Airbnb and VRBO businesses. The number of active cases of COVID-19 in Arkansas continues to drop. There are 72 fewer active cases at this time today than this time yesterday, and statewide, a total of just fewer than 5,800 active cases. The Arkansas Department of Health is reporting nine newly confirmed deaths from the disease in yesterday's numbers and 672 newly diagnosed cases. The number of Arkansans hospitalized because of the virus fell to its lowest point in three months in yesterday's report. After several days of not adding a fatal case of coronavirus to its reports, yesterday the Oklahoma State Department of Health increased the number of Oklahoma deaths by 175. There have now been 11,010 confirmed virus deaths in Oklahoma. Arkansas congressmen are asking the Department of Education to not institute a national mask mandate for schools. Arkansas's third district congressman, Republican Steve Womack, says in a statement that education policies are best handled at the local level. And Arkansas fourth district congressman, Republican Bruce Westerman, says a federal vaccine mandate would undermine the authority of parents. The Cherokee Nation is planning to invest more than $10 million in an Adair County health and wellness facility near the Wilma P. Mankiller Health Center in Stillwell, marking the first major project to, be, to begin construction under the tribe's Public Health and Wellness Fund Act, signed by Principal Chief Chuck Hoskin, Jr. earlier this year. Construction for the Carson Wellness Center will begin in 2022 on five acres of land donated to Cherokee Nation by Jim and Drew Carson of Adair County. A retail firm acquired by Walmart in 2017 is preparing to open its first Northwest Arkansas store. Moose Jaw, an outdoor outfitter, is planning a grand opening in downtown Bentonville October 29th and 30th. Talk Business and Politics reports the brick-and-mortar location near the city square includes 60,000 square feet and will include 30 new jobs for the region. Moose Jaw is primarily an online retailer, and the Bentonville store will be just the 12th physical store in the brand's portfolio. An Arkansas justice reform meeting to discuss American Rescue Plan funds for Washington County that was rained out earlier this month is now scheduled to take place tonight. The session, which is scheduled to include elected officials, will be at Riverside Park Pavilion in West Fork tonight from 6 until 8. Former Arkansas Razorback pitcher Kevin Copps is one of the five finalists for the 91st annual AAU James E. Sullivan Award given to the top American Athlete of the Year. All of the other finalists are gold medalists from this summer's Olympics, including gymnast Simone Biles and swimmer Caleb Dressel. And the Arkansas Razorback soccer team seeks a Baker's Dozen consecutive wins tonight in Auburn, Alabama. The Razorbacks, in first place in the SEC West and ranked fourth in the country, meet number 19 Auburn at 630 tonight. The match will be shown on SEC Network+. Plus. Arkansas will then host its final home match of the regular season Sunday evening at 6 
against Mississippi State. This is Ozarks at Large. Eureka Springs offers an array of tourist accommodations, from quaint bed and breakfast suites to rustic cabins. Tourist lodging is also strictly regulated and taxed. In recent years, however, a growing number of Eureka residents are opening their private homes, advertising on short-term rental vacation sites like Airbnb and VRBO. But as Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports, the city has a new strict ordinance that's designed to block such businesses. Eureka Springs Planning Commission first proposed the ordinance to control short-term vacation rentals in residential neighborhoods recently passed by City Council. Eureka Springs Historic Preservation Officer and Planner Kylie Heverty supports the new regulation. We met up with her at City Hall. In town, you can legally operate a few different types of lodging. Um, Bed and breakfast, boarding house, tourist lodging, hotels, motels. Um, Even hostels are allowed in certain zones in the city. And all tourist accommodations must be licensed with the city to operate. The, The total number of different addresses that are used for some type of lodging or accommodation, there's 183 that are licensed in the city. So those are legal ones that we know about. Of those, 29 are bed and breakfasts, and 103 are considered tourist lodging. Eureka Springs limits the number and kinds of tourist lodging to preserve residential districts, she says, many of which advertise on short-term vacation rental websites. That data um, comes from a short-term rental data company. So they found that in total there are 476 individual listings across Airbnb, Verbo, all of those rental sites. And they include 299 unique rental units. And a majority of those she discovered are illegally operating within city limits. They did show us that 83% of those listings are single family homes, which would equal 248. Now that number fluctuates, but all 248 are unlicensed vacation rentals. The City Historic Preservation Office has been trying to figure out a way to control the spread of private vacation homestays. Currently, the city doesn't have a very efficient way of keeping track of those illegal ones. You have to kind of scan the different short-term rental sites and see if you can catch somebody. Um, So I think a lot more people have potentially flown under the radar for a while. Heverty says the dramatic increase in private vacation rentals has occurred over the past several years. From 2018 to 2021, it rose about 19%. So I think part of it can be attributed to folks buying a second home and they think, hey, when I'm not here visiting, I can rent it out, you know, help out with the mortgage payment, whatever it is. And Some of those people might not know that there are regulations they need to follow. Operating legal tourist lodging in Eureka Springs requires strict protective measures. 
you know, we want to make sure that the lodging units that people are in are safe, that they have proper um, fire suppression systems, that they've been inspected. And to be, you have to get inspected to get a business license. Legal tourist lodgings pay a CAPC or City Advertising and Promotion Commission tax, which drums up business for the town. It also is really important that people are paying their fair share of the CAPC tax. If you're not abiding by the the legal regulations that get you into compliance, we don't know you're out there, you're not paying CAPC tax, and you're not helping out the community in that way. Heverty says another rationale for the new ordinance is that Eureka Springs is experiencing a critical housing shortage. And we have more and more single-family homes that are being purchased by out-of-town folks as a second home, and it might sit vacant you know, six, nine months out of the year, or it will be rented out for some type of lodging or accommodation, and it's causing a lot of disturbances in neighborhoods, and it's really not conducive to the purpose of residential zones. One place where unlicensed short-term rentals have proliferated is the Pines Subdivision, a residential neighborhood in East Eureka Springs. We have to have a place to live. Somewhere where we get to live. Eureka Springs resident Melinda Large, who owns It's a Mystery Bookstore in Berryville, says the town has no shortage of legal tourist lodging. And our concern is we just want somewhere where residents, people that we know, neighbors, um, we wish to live with neighbors, not tourists. Large says short-term vacation rentals disrupt local neighborhoods. We had gone and really raised concerns to the planning committee and to the city, and that's what got it moving along. Um, but it was the Pines edition where we have had numerous, um, we have had, I, I can't say numerous, we have allegedly numerous amounts of uh, people purchasing homes and with a constant turnover which is something rare in this small Pines edition, because these are all residents. We know each other. Melinda Large worries housing turnover is accelerating as a consequence of increased vacation home rental activity in Eureka Springs, population 2,166. Historic Preservation Officer Kylie Heverty says the new ordinance to control private short-term vacation rentals will both ease neighborhood congestion and make available much-needed residential housing for locals. Ordinance 2311 will remove tourist lodging as a conditional use that's allowable in all residential areas, but it is leaving um, other types of accommodations. So bed and breakfast, boarding house, those are still going to be acceptable in different residential zones. It's just an attempt to cut back on this loss of housing stock um, and protect neighborhoods. As for private vacation home operators in Eureka Springs who are caught? This would result in a fine up to $250 for each offense and every 24-hour period that there is a, a rental in that, at that address would be a separate offense. 
Ordinances to limit tourist lodging to preserve local neighborhoods have also been enacted in other small tourist towns like Telluride and Crested Butte, Colorado. Kylie Heverty says her office welcomes citizen complaints about any short-term vacation rental activity in their neighborhood. Unlicensed tourist accommodations, she says, under the new ordinance, will be policed by the city code enforcement officer. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. The latest mural from The Unexpected went up in downtown Fort Smith yesterday. The artwork, designed by London-based street artist Ben Ein and installed by Springdale artist Tiger Sasha, was commissioned through a 2019 grant from the Division of Arkansas Heritage. Director of The Unexpected, Claire Kohlberg, says the latest mural focuses on mental health awareness. There is such a stigma about even talking about mental health, um, seeking out the resources, and we thought that a piece of artwork and a conversation around it would help kind of break that stigma about what it means to have mental health struggles and to be able to speak about it openly. Art is such a fantastic platform to open up that conversation. The Unexpected, an urban art festival bringing artists from all over the world to Fort Smith, had to cancel events in 2020 and scaled back programs in 2021 because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Kohlberg says that made organizers reconsider how the project could look going forward. It's absolutely changed how we're thinking about the program. You know, the benefit of having a name like The Unexpected is we kind of can do, you know, what we we feel is appropriate within the relevancy of the time. So we have that flexibility to really take a step back and say we don't have to continue to do this kind of large scale outdoor um, public art initiative with, you know, multiple artists at the same time. You know, how can we really engage with the community on a, on a deeper level? She says Ein's installation will be the last from The Unexpected this year. In July, the group hosted Miami-based street artist Douglas Hoxima to create a mural at 505 Rogers Avenue. She says the program, which began in 2015, has had a significant impact on the city and the state. We all can see the impact that what outdoor public art can do. And we've been very, very lucky that Fort Smith is such a unique canvas to bring this type of artwork to scale. Um, We're fortunate through our partnership with Just Kids um, that we do have access to some of the most renowned artists across the globe. And through that partnership, you know, really giving Fort Smith and Arkansas a platform to be an art-friendly state and an artist-friendly state and giving um, the world an opportunity to look where it might not necessarily have looked otherwise. The mural was completed Wednesday night and is on display at 1000 Garrison Avenue in Fort Smith. The Unexpected is also hosting a public webinar with Hine Thursday, October 28th via Zoom. Details available on The Unexpected's Facebook page. This is Ozarks at Large. Support for KUAF comes from Neutral, carbon-neutral dairy milk from farms that use grazing, nutrient management, and conservation practices to help lower the carbon footprint. Available at Whole Foods Market. More information at eatneutral.com. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. This is Ozarks at Large. Just ahead, Paul Gatling In the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report, this week we find out about the Macmillan Innovation Studio and what's going on there. That's just ahead. Time for some congratulations right now. They're in order for more than two dozen artists included in the Mid-America Arts Alliance Artists 360 Diverse Cohort, which was announced yesterday. The program seeks to create a place where artists in the creative economy thrive. Fourteen artists will receive $7,500 grants. Six will receive $1,500 student grants. 
Five artists were selected for community activator grants of $15,000 for their work in collaborative projects, creating groundbreaking work that generates dialogue and community engagement. Leah Uribe, bassoonist, educator, podcast host, and the voice you know from Sound Perimeter on Ozarks at Large every Thursday, like today, received one of those community activator grants. Congratulations, Leah. Jasper Logan, the newest member of the KUAF team, he became our community engagement manager this month, is also a grant awardee. Artist 360 is made possible with support from Stuart Walton and Tom Walton through the Walton Family Foundation. A full list of artists and much more information can be found at maaa.org. And a dozen intriguing projects are sharing more than $100,000 in grants from the Women's Giving Circle at the University of Arkansas. The Women's Giving Circle is made up of U of A alumni, faculty, staff, and friends of the university and was created to encourage women as philanthropic leaders. Members of the circle make yearly contributions to generate funds for the annual awards. Among the projects receiving awards this fall, integrating telehealth patient management in the Doctor of Nursing program, enhancing autism management among minority pediatric populations in northwest Arkansas, effects of hormonal birth control on women's experiences with stress, and reducing adolescent vaccine hesitancy. I'm Tanya Mosley. Historically black colleges and universities have long been underfunded. The head of one college is holding out hope President Biden's spending package will change that. This country owes a specific debt to the American descendants of slavery who built the United States. Next time on Here and Now. Here and Now begins at one o'clock this afternoon on KUAF and it's streaming live at KUAF.com. Time now for today's Northwest Arkansas Business Journal report. I'm Paul Gatling. We start today with some real estate news in Bentonville, where a 90,000 square foot office building that is fully leased by Walmart sold earlier this month for $40.6 million. Global Net Lease is a real estate investment trust based in New York. It bought the building on Southeast J Street for a purchase price of nearly $450 $450 a square foot. Wow. As we report a lot at the Business Journal, this ain't your grandfather's Bentonville. Anyway, a limited liability company managed by Ramsey Ball of Bentonville was the seller. The building came out of the ground within the past year and is the anchor property of a 15-acre commercial real estate development called Redbird. More details about that big transaction are in a story at our website, and you can find that at nwabusinessjournal.com. After the break, an interview with Justin Urso, who's the director of the University of Arkansas's McMillan Innovation Studio. You're listening to the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Support for the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report is provided by the Arkansas State Chamber of Commerce and Associated Industries of Arkansas. The Chamber's mission is to promote a pro-business, free enterprise agenda and prevent legislation, regulation, and rules that hinder business. ArkansasStateChamber.com Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield For more than 70 years, Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield has used its knowledge and compassion to create healthcare solutions for individuals and businesses. More information at ArkansasBlueCross.com First Security is proud to be only in Arkansas. They offer smart solutions for personal and business banking, plus convenient services and community investment. First Security. 
Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Justin Urso was appointed director of the McMillan Innovation Studio at the University of Arkansas earlier this year. In the six months since the appointment, he said the studio has seen significant growth in student interest. The studio and its work is the focus of our cover story in the latest issue of the Business Journal. You can read more at nwabusinessjournal.com. And now you can hear more from Justin Urso. Yeah, when people think of innovation, a lot of times they're thinking of, you know, autonomous robots running around, 3D printers, you know, advanced drones, you know, being operated. I mean, this is kind of their idea of innovation. And, and actually, um, with, with the studio back in 2016, we really did specialize in a lot of those things. I mean, that's when it got its start. It really was kind of a retail tech innovation lab. Um, but a couple of years ago, 2018, some new leadership came in, Jessica Salmon, um, former Walmart Sam's Club employee, and she really turned the studio into this kind of human-centered design-design thinking environment where, you know, we work with students. Um, they come from interdisciplinary backgrounds, you know, different colleges on campus, and they form design teams that work on big real-world problems. And so we consider ourselves really a collaborate, collaborative studio, an innovation playground, where, you know, we really focus on valuing the diversity of thought and, and problem solving. And uh, so that's the kind of innovation that we lead with at the McMillan Innovation Studio. Right. And you've got design teams with these students and mentors. And, and the basic overarching idea is to, is to go from a problem to a prototype, to solve a problem in, in a lot of different areas. Yeah, exactly. So students, you know, come together, you know, we, we do a lot of, spend a lot of time pre-semester vetting companies and organizations that are trying to solve big problems. And uh, so they bring us those problems. And then as we recruit, we're able to get our project leaders interested in those projects and they rank them, you know, which ones they want to work on. And then when the start of the semester comes together, they pitch their problems that they're going to be working on to the broader student population within the studio. And then they form teams, and so these teams come together, and then they work on these problems through the course of the semester. Uh, they really start off, and we're just finishing up, you know, after two months, um, basically customer discovery. You know, we focused on the problem identification and then customer discovery, and then they'll be moving into prototyping and, and building solutions out for those projects that they're working on. Yeah, and these projects are, uh, you know, you've got some relationships with a lot of recognizable companies in the business community. So, you know, as you, as you, we'll talk about the growth in a second, but as you share this vision and want to grow, where do you see the, the biggest impact coming in the future? Well, you know, we're, we're hearing a lot of things within the job market right now. Um, a lot of companies are, are putting a renewed focus on building products. You know, they're really thinking about their futures in different ways today. Products, product design, design thinking, you know, they really are seeing innovation as the path forward for them, right? And so, um, you know, when I started my career years ago, innovation was something that you did, but it wasn't something you talked about in terms of the philosophy of, of how you really delivered innovation. And with human-centered design, design thinking, we're able to actually – help people understand new ways to be creative and think creatively, right? And mm -hmm. so companies and organizations are thinking the same way. And so they're able to partner with us at the studio to solve some of these problems. Um, and, and like you said, yeah, we're working with some reputable companies in the area, some organizations. Um, you know, we're trying to build out that environment even further because 
we expanded our design teams from six in the spring to 11 this semester, and we're going to be doing 20 uh, next semester, you know, and we, we want to engage more organizations in the area that are looking to, you know, solve some of these problems. So is your philosophy, does that, is that resonating more with students on campus? I mean, are, are, there spe- are there specific majors more so than others that are finding their way there, or is this attractive to students from a variety of majors? It's really all majors. You know, we look at kind of the pyramid of success um, for a team to be someone with a design background, someone with an engineering background, someone with kind of a leadership business background. And so those students come together from all different colleges across campus. Um, obviously, you know, we're, from, we're affiliated more with the Walton College of Business uh, than any other college on campus. And uh, so 50% of our students come from the Walton College, but 50% of the students come from outside the Walton College. And uh, about 30% of those students are engineering students. Um, And then the remaining portion of those students are uh, design students and and art students. So, you know, we're getting a wide variety of students from all across campus. So what are your your big goals for... um you know, say the next year, you know, you mentioned in the story, the studio is, is, uh, funded solely by donors, um, you know, like Doug and Shelly McMillan, where you get the namesake, you know, through the years, they've been big supporters. Mm-hmm. Is a fundraising strategy at the top of your list, uh, right now? It is, it is, you know, having come from an entrepreneurial environment, you know, these last eight years, I, I take a lot of pride in, in being able to, you know, be financially sustainable and keep the growth and the momentum moving and, and so coming into the studio was, you know, no, it was no stranger for me to to say, okay, we are funded through outside donation. Obviously, we have a lot of support from the university, and they believe in what we're doing, you know, but we want to keep this momentum going. And so um, we have a lot of interest in the studio from students, you know, too, actually too much interest right now, and, and we just don't have enough staff to really be able to provide um, all the, the, the background and the education that we're trying to put forth. And so... Yeah, we're going to try to raise some money uh, by the end of next May next year, get some more partners on board, um, bring on a few more full-time employees, and then, you know, hopefully eventually be thinking of maybe a bigger space because uh, if you've seen our studio, we, we're limited uh, in terms of the overall space, and uh, we want to be able to bring some more students into it. And that is Justin Urso, who is the director of the McMillan Innovation Studio which falls under the University of Arkansas's Office of Innovation and Entrepreneurship. You can check out our story about the studio and its work at nwabusinessjournal.com. You can also learn more at mcmillanstudio.uark.edu. Staying on campus in Fayetteville, the university announced this week that Margaret Sova McCabe will step down at the end of the academic year as dean of the School of Law. McCabe has served as the dean since 2018. She does plan to remain at the U of A as a faculty member. And Larice Hasham, a philanthropist and businesswoman in Rogers, is the new chair of the U.S. Marshalls Museum Foundation Board of Directors in Fort Smith. She replaces Robert Young III, who was foundation board chair for 12 years. You can find those stories and more online at nwabusinessjournal.com where you can follow our reporting each and every day. I'm Paul Gatling, and that's the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal Report. Until next time, thanks for listening. This is Ozarks at Large. It's mid-October. 
the weather has cooled. That means it's time to go outside and get lost in a corn maze. At least that's what Ozarks at Large reporter and producer Matthew Moore decided to do this past weekend. He emerges from the maze to bring us this field report. On the southeast edge of Fayetteville, just off Dead Horse Mountain Road, sits the surprisingly large Megara Farms and Rivercrest Orchard, which is home to fall on the farm. Timothy Megara is the owner of the farm, who has hosted the event for four years now. And she says one of the hallmarks of the orchards is the pumpkin patch. We have a 16-acre pumpkin patch. We grow all of our own pumpkins here on the farm, and we have a river that runs through our property. We irrigate out of the White River to um, you know, water all of our crops. We all know it's not officially fall until you've taken a family photo in the pumpkin patch. But if you need some activities to bribe your kiddos into taking some good pictures, Megara has you covered. So we have a barn shoot slide. So it's two 100-foot uh, tracks um, that you get on an inner tube with a hard bottom. And we soap it up. And push you down the chute, which is uh, like the plastic corrugated racetrack, pretty much. Megara says another fan favorite is the corn cribs. Imagine an outdoor ball pit, but instead of balls, well, it's corn. I always hear the parents say, if you're going to stay in the corn crib all day long, (laughs) we're going to go home because it's hard to get them out of it. Sharonda came up from Fort Smith with her family, including her two grandkids. What are the kids working on right now? I don't know what the name of this thing is. What is this called? Obstacle course. Megara calls it a low ropes course. You know, it's like a big um, uh, obstacle course type of thing uh, with lots of ropes and nets and they love it. They love it over there. Yeah, they've been on the hayride, plenty of food. Yep, just did the slide. It's been fun. That's awesome. Yes. Um, what, what has been something that surprised you that is out here? The donuts. <laughs> the donuts. Are they good? They're very good. Do I need They're to go get different. some? They're different. Yeah, you should get some. How are they different? They are made with, I guess, applesauce or apples or cinnamon, something like that. And then they fry them and put a little icing on them, and they're delicious. Don't worry. I fact-checked Sharonda. The donuts were delicious. The farm also has a burger food truck, a Mexican food truck, a caramel apple food truck, and if you're starting to run thin on energy, a coffee truck, too. Jose is from Bentonville, and he came down with his three kids. You've got a little one here. Who's this? Yes, I do. Uh, Sophia. Sophia. How old are you, Sophia? Say nine months. <laughs> do you have more than one, just the one? Uh, no, I got two more. I got a 13-year-old and a 7-year-old. Okay, yeah. so they're running around taking ownership of the place? Yes, they are. <laughs> Having awesome. fun, yeah. That's awesome. What has been their favorite part of it so far? Uh, so far, uh, they're doing the uh, apple blaster. That's what their favorite part. <laughs> nice. That's what they enjoy. The apple blaster looks like an artillery gun from World War II, but instead of shooting ammunition, it's loaded with apples. And the targets include the LSU Tiger and the Alabama Crimson Tide Elephant on giant wooden signs out in the field. And of course, you can't forget about the corn maze. Here's Megara again. So our corn maze is a nine-acre corn maze. Uh, the uh, maze design is our logo. We plant our corn in July, um, and when it's very, very short, they come uh, with the GPS coordinates and cut our maze. 
And so then it grows up and we kind of maintain those paths um, until it's time for us to open. And we irrigate it as well. So we have a nice green, thick corn maze. The soundtrack of the corn maze includes the apple blaster in the distance, folks deciding which turn to take, and the occasional older sister (laughs) scaring the younger one. Fall on the Farm is open every Thursday through Sunday until the end of the month. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Matthew Moore. Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art will get into the Halloween swing on October 31st, Halloween, with the North Forest Trick-or-Treat. There will be candy and a chance to snap a photo of your favorite trick-or-treater in the photo booth. Also music, live performances, and take-home art kits for children. Free time tickets are required, and all guests over the age of two are required to wear face coverings. Masks will be available for those who do not have one. You can register for the free time tickets through the Crystal Bridges website. And University of Arkansas students will have a scarier way to get into the Halloween spirit next week. University programs will screen the classic film Psycho at 7, Wednesday night in the University Programs Video Theater. It's free of charge, open to all U of A students, and comes with complimentary popcorn and soda. And yes, the movie might be eligible for an AARP card. It was released in 1960, but it still delivers more than a few shocks. The National Philharmonic performing Bernard Herrmann's amazing score to the 1960 film Psycho. More music ahead on today's Ozarks at Large. Leo Uribe will have a brand new edition of Sound Perimeter. Still to come on this Thursday edition of our show. On the next Science Friday, it's Filipino American History Month. We talk about the deep history and continuing story of Filipinos as frontline healthcare workers. By the 1960s, the demand increased dramatically following the passage of Medicare and Medicaid, and also spikes in illnesses such as the AIDS epidemic in the 1980s. All on Science Friday from WNYC Studios. Science Friday, tomorrow, Friday, from 1 until 3 on 91.3 KUAF. You can also listen through the free updated KUAF app. Leaders in the state's largest city are taking steps to try to reduce violent crime. At a news conference yesterday, Little Rock Mayor Frank Scott Jr. expressed anger and sadness about a rise of shootings and crime in the city. He introduced a new approach designed to address the problem. The mayor says the Little Rock Board of Directors is approving using $1.5 million from the American Rescue Plan, with part of that going to the city's police department. Accordingly, we will be proposing for the 2022 budget an additional step increase for officers to ensure that they are getting necessary raises to to retain our officers. We also will propose an increased incentive to recruit our officers. We already give $5,000 bonuses to officers who complete recruiting classes. We know we need to do more. We'll be increasing that $5,000 bonus to $10,000 per recruit. The department has been struggling with a high number of officer vacancies. Police Chief Keith Humphrey says the strategy is to build trust in the community while targeting criminals. We will continue to increase 
police visibility and identify violent crimes area and deter violent offenders through lawful enforcement and surveillance activity. We will continue to coordinate with a lead, a place-based enforcement strategy to identify and target networks of crime, prone places to arrest offenders and arrest underlying environmental, address underlying environmental conditions conducive to crime. The funds will also be used for officer training and a new neighborhood safety office. The program also offers resources like youth employment and re-entry services for people being released from prison. Mayor Scott says he's hopeful the city will be awarded grants from the U.S. Department of Justice to help fund additional programs. This is Leo Uribe, Associate Professor at the University of Arkansas Music Department, expanding our musical boundaries with Sound Perimeter. We open Sound Perimeter today with Florence Price Symphony No. 3 in C minor, Movement 3, Yuba. This version is a preview of a brand new recording with the Vienna Radio Symphony, conducted by our own Arkansas-based John Jeter, Fort Smith Symphony Music Director and Conductor. This upcoming recording is the second volume of Florence Price's complete orchestral works and an addition to John Jeter's history of international recordings on Naxos, the world's largest classical recording company. Price, born in Little Rock, Arkansas in 1887, is remembered as the first African-American woman to be recognized as a major composer in our world of classical music. She composed numerous works, including four symphonies, four concertos or pieces for a soloist and orchestra, choral works, art songs, and music for small ensembles and solo instruments. What we just heard was an excerpt from Yuba, the third movement of Price's Symphony No. 3 in C minor, with the Vienna Radio Symphony under the baton of our own Arkansas-based John Jeter, Fort Smith Symphony Music Director and Conductor. And it was a preview of an access upcoming recording of Florence Price's orchestral works. 
Expect this release in early November and more on this recording soon on Ozarks at Large. George Walker was an American composer, pianist, and organist who was the first African-American to have won the Pulitzer Prize for music. He wrote lyric for strings in 1946 and originally titled it Lament. It was dedicated to the memory of his grandmother. Let us listen to an excerpt from this beautiful piece and its passionate melodies interpreted by the Son Sonora String Quartet. That was an excerpt from African-American composer George Walker's Lyric for Strings. Walker was born in Washington, D.C. in 1922 and had a career in music as a performer, composer, and educator. Walker continued actively writing music until his death in 2018. Today, we are celebrating the voices of African-American composers that have documented the history of the United States in and with their music. We close Sound Penimeter today with composer Keiru Okoye, born in New York in 1972, and her piece Voices Shouting Out, performed by the Detroit Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Thomas Wilkins. Okoye says of her piece, quote, I sat to write voices in the wake of September 11th. 
However, in my grieving process, I failed to find music within. It was as thought as my muse crumbled with our twin towers. In the end, rather than crying out, my official response was voices shouting out in freedom as it were through the music. It was a march to acknowledge those fighting on behalf of our safety and yet a sparkling celebration of life for those of us who continue living. This is Leo Uribe, Associate Professor at the University of Arkansas Music Department, expanding our musical boundaries with a sound perimeter. This is Ozarks at Large. The city of Bentonville will host a public meeting regarding the allocation of American Rescue Plan funds Tuesday, November 2nd. City residents and elected officials will have a chance to hear from city staff about the American Rescue Plan Act at this meeting that takes place at City Hall. And the meeting is designed to go both ways, so members of the public can offer opinions and insights to city staff and elected officials about the funds. This meeting, scheduled for 6.30 to 8 p.m. in the Bentonville City Council Chambers the night of Tuesday, November 2nd. Residents of Fayetteville, your opinions about expansion of the Yvonne Richardson Community Center are needed. The city is asking for comments about the work on its Speak Up Fayetteville webpage. There is a survey about the expansion at speakup.fayetteville-ar.gov. And... KUAF wants to hear from you, too, no matter where you live. It's easy to leave a message for us and for your community by using the Connect button on the new free KUAF app for iPhone. Current topics include Ask a Journalist, where you ask your questions about how journalism works. Giving thanks. That lets you share what you're thankful for going into the holiday season or just share your story with KUAF listeners. Just download the KUAF app for iPhone at the App Store. Click the Connect button at the bottom of the screen, set up your account, it's free, and leave your message. And yes, you can listen to that message again before you send it to us. You can also connect with us by our Connect phone line. That number is 479-575-6577. Again, Arkansas, area code 
575-6577. Connect with your community with the help of KUAF. KUAF is giving away tickets to see guitarist, singer-songwriter Gary Clark Jr. in concert Saturday, October 23rd at Walmart Amp and Rogers. Clark's most recent release, This Land, earned three Grammy Awards, including Best Contemporary Blues Album. Winners will be announced during the noon edition of Ozarks at Large on Friday, October 22nd. KUAF.com to register. Central Arkansas Library System's Six Bridges Book Festival is October 21st through the 31st. This free festival offers virtual presentations from authors Sandra Cisneros, Susie Garcia, Melissa Lozada Oliva, and others. Select sessions are available in Spanish through a grant from the Arkansas Humanities Council and the National Endowment for the Humanities, sixbridgesbookfestival.org for event schedule. KUAF is supported by Little Guys Movers, built on family values and community involvement for over 28 years. Little Guys Movers focused on changing the image of the moving industry, one move at a time. LittleGuys.com for more information. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, a new Netflix movie places its focus on some legendary Western figures familiar to students of Oklahoma and Fort Smith history. Outlaws like Cherokee Bill and Nat Love and United States Marshal Bass Reeves. Courtney Lanning will tell us if the movie The Harder They Fall is worth our time. And also tomorrow, Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich takes us to artist George Dombeck's studio. Most of my career has been focused on one subject matter for an intense period of time, uh, two to five years, something like that. But now, the last 10 or so years, 12 years, I've been doing lots of things at the same time. And so uh, I find that a lot more fun. Ozarks at Large at noon and 7 tomorrow on KUAF and always available as a podcast through any major podcast distributor. When we reflect on our lives, we often see a thread that leads from one event to the next. And that is wrong. There is no thread. There is just sort of an infinite cloud of possibilities. The future has not been created yet. How Our Minds Impose Meaning on the Random, this week on Hidden Brain from NPR. Hidden Brain, Saturday afternoon at 3, then again Sunday morning at 6 on KUAF 91.3. You can also listen by asking your smart speaker to please play Ozarks at Large. This is KUAF 91.3, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Gravelly down in Yell County. You can listen to us anytime, anywhere by using the free KUAF app. Ozarks at Large is a production of KUAF, and KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors to our Thursday show included Jacqueline Froelich, Matthew Moore, Daniel Carruth, who delivered information and sound about the unexpected mural unveiled in Fort Smith, Leah Uribe, and Paul Gatling. The Northwest Arkansas Business Journal report is produced by Stephanie Brock. It's part of our ongoing relationship with Talk Business and Politics. You can learn more at talkbusiness.net. Further assistance today from the news staff at KUAR in Little Rock, Public Radio for Little Rock and Central Arkansas. Our theme, titled First Hurrah, written and performed by Daryl Sean. And you can find past editions of complete shows, as well as individual stories, features, and interviews at ozarksatlarge.com. 
and alert listeners probably noticed we didn't have Timothy Dennis with us this Thursday for a rundown of live music to see for the next week across the region. He is actually away from work this week. But I'll end the show with just a bit of music today, reminding you that the deadline is drawing very near for your chance to score tickets to the Gary Clark Jr. concert that's taking place Saturday night at the Walmart Amp in Rogers. Rhonda Dillard, our underwriting director, will be with me on tomorrow's noon show to announce the winners. If you want to enter, go to KUAF.com. All the details and all the opportunities right there. So we're going to end this Thursday edition of Ozarks at Large with music from Gary Clark from his 2019 release, This Land. This is the song, I Walk Alone. We will be back with you tomorrow at noon and 7 p.m. with a brand new Friday show. From the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio at the Carver Center for Public Radio in downtown Fayetteville, I'm Kyle Kellums. Take care of yourself, get rest when you can, and thanks for listening.